In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. The United States of America is a thoroughly secularized society which canonizes radical individualism and relativism, even before the natural moral law. The application of canon law, therefore, is more necessary than ever, lest the faithful, led astray by the strong cultural trends of relativism, be deceived concerning the supreme good of the Holy Eucharist and the gravity of supporting publicly the commission of intrinsically evil acts. Catholics in public office bear an especially heavy burden of responsibility to uphold the moral law in the exercise of their office, which is exercised for the common good, especially the good of the innocent and defenseless. When they fail, they lead others, Catholics and non-Catholics alike, to be deceived regarding the evils of procured abortion and other attacks on innocent and defenseless human life, on the integrity of human procreation, and on the family. These are the words of the Most Reverend Raymond Leo Cardinal Burke, and they are very poignant at this time of year, and especially on the eve of an election cycle. Our young nation has seen many cardinals by now, but this was not always the case. If we go back only a century, the very title of cardinal, something that was barely heard on the lips of Americans, where there were hardly any. Indeed, there was only one. Some of you may not know that, as rare as that title was, there was another rare title which was found at that same time here in the United States, the title of primate. The Archbishop of Baltimore, as shepherd of the oldest sea in our country, once bore the title of primate of the United States. He could convene national councils, from which we received our famous Baltimore Catechism. He had a certain preeminence over all the other bishops of the land. Although the title was largely honorary, as in other countries, such as Spain and Ireland, it stood nevertheless as a sign that Rome saw in the United States the makings of a great Catholic nation. Over a century before Cardinal Burke began to speak in an international forum, another archbishop, James Cardinal Gibbons of Baltimore, received a letter from the Pope at that time, Leo XIII. Not a personal letter, but an apostolic letter intended to be read by all the bishops of our country and by the Catholic world as a whole. Cardinal Gibbons did all that he could to stop the publication of this letter, along with other members of the American hierarchy, but their intervention before Rome came too late, and the letter was already published when the request arrived. Cardinal Gibbons was well known and well loved by Catholic and Protestant alike. He championed the cause of labor. Teddy Roosevelt called him the most useful citizen in America. He was primate of the United States. He would be the last to bear this title, for it would die with him. The apostolic letter which Cardinal Gibbons received was Testem Bonevolentiae, the XIII's correction of certain opinions which paraded under the name of Americanism. In light of what we have heard from our dear Cardinal, let us examine what this great Pope had to say of our nation so long before. 
The Pope wrote, the underlying principle of these new opinions, that is, of Americanism, is that in order more easily to attract those who differ from her, the Church should shape her teachings more in accord with the spirit of the age and relax some of her ancient severity to make some concessions to new opinions. Many think that these concessions should be made not only in regard to ways of living, but even in regard to doctrines which belong to the deposit of the faith. They contend that it would be opportune in order to gain those who differ from us to omit certain points of her teaching which are of lesser importance and to tone down the meaning which the church has always attached to them. Let it be far from anyone's mind to suppress for any reason any doctrine that has been handed down. Such a policy would tend rather to separate Catholics from the church than to bring in those who differ. There is nothing closer to our heart than to have those who are separated from the fold of Christ return to it, but in no other way than the way pointed out by Christ. At the time that Cardinal Gibbons received these words from the Pope, no one dreamed that American Catholics would ever feel pressured by their fellow Americans to compromise their belief on the right to life or the sanctity of marriage. Abortion was everywhere illegal. Contraception was even illegal in many states. Divorce was still quite rare. And as for other horrific and unnatural sins against the married state, they were not spoken of by anyone. The Pope maintained that the threat was not to Catholic morals, but to the faith. His fear was that American Catholics were beginning to dilute their faith in order to blend in with their Protestant neighbors, and that they were doing so with an ever-increasing spirit of independence from Rome. He feared that the Catholic Church in America was becoming the American Catholic Church. And if Catholics were ready to compromise their faith today, they would be ready to compromise their morals tomorrow. It is not difficult to see how this played out as the 20th century unfolded. Already by the close of the 19th century, the Council of Baltimore had given the injunction that the normal dress for the priest outside of church was not the cassock anymore, but the suit. This was done so that Catholic priests would blend in more easily with Protestant ministers. The low point, perhaps, was several decades later, after the assassination of our first Catholic president, John F. Kennedy. Whatever one might have thought of that president, one thing is for sure. After his death, the whole world was turned in sympathy toward the Catholic world. Everyone was looking to the church to see what she would do now to mourn the loss of this son who had been in the highest office in the land. Sadly, the American hierarchy decided that a funeral with all the solemnity and sacred ceremonies that the church had to offer would be incomprehensible to Americans. And so they settled for a simple low mass for the death of the president. Dear Faithful, today, as you know, is Mission Sunday. The church invites us to pray for the success of her missions. Today, when every nation, which once called itself Christian, has turned its back on God, 
the whole world is mission territory. We have a duty to render unto Caesar. We have a duty to be good patriotic Americans. Patriotism properly understood is a virtue. But for Catholics, for those who live a life in sanctifying grace, it must be a supernatural virtue. We are truly patriotic when we uphold the rights of God in our country and work not only for the prosperity of our fellow Americans, but for their conversion. The Pope's letter continues, the scriptures teach us that it is the duty of all to work for the salvation of one's neighbor, according to the power and position of each. The faithful do this by religiously discharging the duties of their state of life, by the uprightness of their conduct, by their works of Christian charity, and by earnest and continuous prayer to God. On the other hand, those who belong to the clergy should do this by an enlightened fulfillment of their preaching ministry, by the pomp and splendor of ceremonies, and especially by setting forth that sound form of doctrine which St. Paul inculcated upon Titus and Timothy. For we think that there are many in your country who are separated from Catholic truth more by ignorance than by ill will, who might perchance more easily be drawn to the onefold of Christ if this truth be set forth to them in a friendly and familiar way. I ask you 100 years later, is this missionary program too much to ask of American Catholics? If every Catholic in America followed this program, would we not, by the grace of God, have conversions by the millions? And if every American Catholic heeded the words of Cardinal Burke, would we not see unborn children and true marriage securely protected by our nation's laws? I come, as you know, from a different oratory, one that is very richly blessed, spiritually and materially. We have a beautiful church, beautiful parking lots, and a clean and safe area. Everything at people's disposal in order for them to carry out this simple program given to us by Pope Leo XIII. You, at this moment at least, do not have these things. And I, along with so many, priests and faithful around the country admire your courage and perseverance. We pray that the day will soon come when you too can have a true house of the Lord to render him due worship. In the meantime, however, you have among you a holy priest and the sacraments of Christ. That is enough for you to invite, at least every once in a while, a non-Catholic to come to Mass or to another oratory event. After that, if we are already doing all we can, in church, at home, in the workplace, in the voting booth, there is still prayer. Our prayers can bring this nation to its knees. And we can do no better than to make our own the prayer for Mission Sunday, which is added to today's Mass. O God, who wouldst have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, send forth, we beseech thee, laborers into thy harvest, and grant that they may proclaim thy word with all boldness, that thy word may spread and be made manifest, and all nations may know thee as the one true God and him whom thou hast sent, Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord. Amen.